The reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, the Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hilary. So hopefully you've got sight of one of these cards. If you haven't, there are spares at the back. And it's just, well, an early New Year gift to you. Um, I always think it's good to put it somewhere where I'll see regularly. I put it near the toilet in our house in the downstairs loo. You, you, know, you do what you need to do. But I hope it's a verse that will travel with us through the year. And uh, just remind me of God of God's call on my life and on yours. And I particularly love verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this Sunday, we're keeping as Epiphany, as the closest to the 6th of uh, January. Of course, in the Orthodox Church, it's actually uh, Christmas Day is on the 6th, because uh, our calendars are out of sync. We, we have that in our household sometimes. Our, you know, it, Christians can get dates muddled up, it turns out. Um, but I love Epiphany, because it is really the most inclusive of all the festivals of the Christian Church. At Christmas, we remember that Jesus came for the poor, and that's why the angels, first of all, turned up to tell shepherds, who in those days were um, 
really despised. They, they were, in every sense, outside of civilization in their work and their lives. But we remember Jesus came for people of all cultures and all faith backgrounds. Now, the word magi, you may have spotted, is connected with the word magic. Um, and it's thought, scholars think, these people may well have been Zoroastrians. I'm sure we all know what that involves. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've only ever known one Zoroastrian, uh, and he didn't really know me. His name was Freddie Mercury. There's only about 12,000 people worldwide who are Zoroastrians. They have some beliefs that we don't have. Um, on death, they're put on stone pillars to be eaten by vultures. I've not seen any of them around Salisbury. Uh, I can't understand it. So they believe things that most of us, as followers of Jesus, don't. They believe things that were explicitly forbidden in Scripture. In their worldview, human destiny could be read from the movement of the planets and the stars. And yet God, in his grace, uses something they know about to bring them to meet his son. And Matthew includes them, just as Luke includes the shepherds, to show what kind of saviour Jesus is. He gathers the most unlikely people into his circle of friends. He's friend of sinners. And just looking out this morning, I can see that's clearly true. That's why I'm here. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus loves unlovely people. And he gathers the most unlikely people into his circle of friends. And no matter how inclusive we might feel we are, or how wide our friendship group, it's not compared with way, the way Jesus does it. Now, the point being made is not that all religions lead to God. That is self-evidently not true. Religions, including some expressions of Christianity, can be pernicious and cruel and unpleasant. The point being made from these seekers from the East is that when they meet Jesus, they worship him as their true God for whom they've watched and waited all their lives. And it reminds me of later on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 13, we've got the whole chapter is parables of the kingdom. And there's that lovely little parable, verse 44, I think, where it talks about um, a merchant of fine pearls. He's an expert. He knows what he's looking for. And at last, there's a eureka moment. We have found it. This is the one that is worth all the others. And it feels like this for these magi. They know something, and yet here is something worth more than everything else. And the wise men are juxtaposed with another king called Herod the Great. Uh, you can probably tell from his name he wasn't good on humility. That's quite a thing to have on your CV, Herod the Great. Um, so the Herod and the Magi exhibit two equal and opposite possible responses to Jesus rejection or acceptance. And the irony is that uh, Herod is geographically, culturally, and spiritually 
really close to Jesus, but he's pointing in the wrong direction. A bit like the Pharisees. I mean, we may have felt, oh, they're nothing like Jesus. Actually, they were really close. They were pointing the opposite way, though. Whereas these magi are physically, socially, and theologically very far from Jesus, but they're pointing towards him. They're coming to adore him. And so my prayer for myself in this new year, and my hope for you, is to become more like these uh, magi. So I'd like us, if we may, just to turn to reflect on this, uh, this little card um, that you were given when you came in. The wise men model for us how we can seek to respond to Jesus this year. And I'm sorry, I always like to feel that in a sermon you might learn something. I think it highly like you, likely you will learn nothing. You've probably heard sermons, you've probably done your own thinking. But it doesn't have to be new to be new, truthful and useful. So I hope it will be even so a blessing. And the first point I've put there is humility in worship. As these people come with their education, their wealth, and their former beliefs, they then bow down. They lower themselves quite physically, quite literally. I find it quite moving, actually. Sometimes uh, I've been with Muslims when uh, five times a day they get down and kneel. They prostrate themselves. That's what these guys do. British people don't normally find that an easy way of worshipping. It's a little bit obvious. But these guys humble themselves physically and quite literally. And just think what amazing faith this is. They have heard no teaching, they have seen no miracles, and yet they worship him with the best that they have. They adore a toddler. This, by this time, Jesus uh, isn't in a stable. He's in the house, and he's called a child, not a baby. I do know some people who worship toddlers. I won't name them. But, uh, I mean, I, I would say I tolerated our four children. <laughs> oh, just a bit of a gasp from my wife there. Sorry. I mean, I've got to like them quite a lot now. It's fine. But... Um, I mean, perhaps you can tolerate your own, but other people's can be hard work. And yet these grown men with all their dignity, sorry, if that didn't bless you, move on swiftly. They bow down in front of a toddler. I mean, is there another such a great image of faith in Scripture? I'm not sure there is. I mean, it's extraordinary, their devotion to a toddler they've never met before. Do you ever feel you could do with more grace in your life? I know I, I do feel that often. Scripture tells us really clearly, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may lift you up. I encourage you to come to God with humility. And it may be that you didn't like the songs that were chosen this morning or think this is a rubbish sermon. But it's really not for you, it's for Jesus. And we're to humble ourselves and not let things get in the way 
of us worshipping and just saying, despite everything, hallelujah anyway, as that beautiful song says. Humility in worship. And then they offer to Jesus the things that matter most. I wonder how Jesus heard about this story. I bet, I mean, we hear in this narrative, Mary treasured these things, pondered them and treasured them. And I bet she told Jesus from a young age, you're really special. You're amazing. It's lovely. I think all parents should say that regularly to their children. But she had stories to back it up about treasure. And later on, Jesus would know something about treasure. He said, where your uh, treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, there's a, what really you care about. And it says, these magi opened their treasures. What a beautiful phrase that is. They open up fully to Jesus. And for me, the question is, will I give Jesus the best that I have, my treasures, or my leftovers? Am I open-handed or tight-fisted? And so that leads me to consider three things that we all probably consider treasures in different ways. And I'd like to share just three things from my own life and experience that might uh, help us think it through a bit. First of all, gold. In nearly every culture, gold is synonymous with wealth, something small but uh, really valuable. Will we give our gold? When I was uh, 22 years old, uh, I was, I'd been in quite a few bands and I was a, a worship leader uh, from the guitar, uh, but I had a bit of a rubbish guitar. And then I felt the Lord leading me to buy a nicer guitar. Uh, uh, it was called a Takamini, as you ask. Um, and I was ever so pleased with it. And the very next Sunday, I took it to church because I was uh, in the band that week. And it was, there it was on its beautiful new stand. And someone bounded over from the church and said, oh, new guitar, can I play it, please? And I'm sure there are <laughs> some of you know uh, that feeling and you're thinking... So, being a Christian and still nice at that stage in my life, I said, of course you can. But they were so enthusiastic, they bounded over, knocked into a music stand, and it just sliced into the body of the guitar and then scratched down it. So it was only four days old and was wounded. And I'm not often lost for words, but I really was, because none of the words were appropriate for being in church uh, or for saying to someone who was a brother in Christ. Um, <laughs> I was so sad. Um, and then I thought, Jesus, I actually bought this to honor you. And it's offered to you. It's only a guitar. And so, okay, this has happened, but actually it was all to serve you anyway. It's not mine, really. It's just, it, I have offered it to you. And I could feel the tentacles of idolatry unclasping from my heart. Because if I was using uh, the name of Jesus to worship my guitar, that was the wrong way around. It was all to be given to him. So that made it much easier to forgive the person whose name I can still remember. 
<laughs> I've got through it. But for you, what, what is the precious thing that you might be holding slightly too tightly? And Jesus says, is it really surrendered? Is, it, is your gold given? Um, Mark, can I just invite you to stand up? I'm not going to embarrass you other than that. Mark's our treasurer. And, um, you know, if you feel you would like to start giving to, to the work of God through this church, do see him. We've got the card reader at the back, and you can do that any time. But, you know, we've, I believe this is part of my discipleship, my following of Jesus. When Sue and I got married, uh, we had a, a hymn, um, and it had the line in it, all my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And I remember we looked across at each other thinking, why did we choose this hymn? This is a big ask. Uh, and yet we have tried to do that, and I know God has blessed us as we've been faithful in doing that. I just, it's not some kind of guilt trip. I don't want people guilted into giving. But it's part of discipleship. We give Jesus our gold. And I believe as a church, we steward it well. So if you want to have a conversation, I try not to find out what anyone else gives. But I'd love for you to have a conversation with Mark if that's something you would like to take up this year um, as a, appropriate for what you can give to Jesus, what you feel you're being prompted to give. The second thing then is, is frankincense. And uh, the word frankincense actually comes franks, as in money, incense. It's costly incense. That's how the English word comes. It's resin from a tree, and it sort of becomes a, a gum that's very, very fragrant. Uh, it's extravagantly perfumed. And it was, in many cultures, offered up as a symbol of prayer in worship and as the smoke of incense. I mean, I'd never come across it before. I went to a theological college where people were slightly higher up the candle than me. And then I'd suddenly think, oh, it seems rather foggy in here, and then saw someone with a thurible giving it some welly. And it sort of the smoke goes up. And actually, I quite liked it because it kills off bugs. And uh, now that I've got asthma, it doesn't suit me quite so well. But it's such a sweet smell. And you get that phrase from the Old Testament, this was a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and it sort of works really well. How much do you want to give time to, uh, to worship, not on a Sunday, but in your life in, in the year ahead? A thought that popped into my mind this morning was something, uh, Martin Luther was uh, quite a busy man during the Reformation. And at one point, uh, and he wasn't all good, and he wasn't all bad, but he was used by God to, to, to bring certain truth to light. But he said, uh, once wrote in a journal, I find myself so busy, I cannot get by with less than three hours of prayer a day. I thought, oh, that is busy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a contest, it's not a competition, but he recognized that was the number one priority. Maybe it sounds a bit self-indulgent, giving time as if it's about us, but actually it's not. In John 12, there's that beautiful story of Mary pouring out her extravagantly expensive perfume over Jesus. And even the disciples said, what a waste. 
And Jesus told them off and said, no, she's done a beautiful thing to me. He loved it. At the end of last term, I was uh, in a school um, taking an assembly and doing some work with children. And uh, one of them asked me, um, what, so what does your job, you're a vicar, what does that mean? What do you do for your job? And the simplest way I could explain it to a year four child was I help people say their prayers. That is a big part of my heart and my job. Is I, I pray, but I want to help you connect with God for you to say your prayers. And whatever that looks like for you, you don't have to do it like the person next to you or like me, but I encourage you to make this a year of fragrance, of frank incense, of offering up your prayers of all kinds to God. When uh, our four children were very young, Sue and I were very busy, and for a, a while we put in each week a date night in our diary. It doesn't sound terribly romantic, but we were just so busy. And uh, the thought was, we're constantly doing urgent things, but not always doing important things. There's things that are urgent, screaming to be done, that have very little real meaning or significance. They just are on the to-do list. And we can easily neglect the important things. And I believe personal prayer, encountering God for ourselves every day, is the most important thing. So I just want to uh, invite you to, to grow your relationship with God, uh, to give him quality time that's uninterrupted so that that relationship grows. Will you bring your frankincense? And finally, the myrrh. And this is actually very like frankincense. It's a, a, a resin from a tree also used uh, for perfume a very expensive gift, but famously it was used in embalming when someone's died. Well, obviously, when they've died, yeah. Don't you normally embalm people who are still alive. Um, but we could wrongly think, if I had less pain in my life, I'd be a better worshipper. And I don't think that's true, necessarily. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I, I thought of a lady I knew some years ago who'd had a very difficult start in life with all sorts of difficulties. But by the grace of God, she came to faith in Jesus. Um, she worked hard through her life, but she never had much. But she also used to care for people as a gift, cleaning and shopping and doing personal care. And at her retirement, she was due to inherit a substantial amount, which would have been really transformative for her. And I have to say, I was... I witnessed her being, I believed, defrauded and cheated out of what was meant to be hers. And I was so furious, and I was wanting to make a fuss. And she just said, no, leave it. I don't want you to do anything. I'm just going to keep trusting Jesus. You're a lot more holy than me. I couldn't have done that. I was indignant for her. But I was so impressed that how she was able to turn huge disappointment and loss into worship. She didn't allow herself to become embittered by what was a very embittering, I thought, experience. 
Her worship, if I could put it this way, was out, was without an agenda. It was just pure worship, which amazed me. Maybe we sometimes have an agenda, we want things. And all of us carry wounds, but by the grace of God, we can choose to offer even the things that are most painful and our losses, as Job did. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Anyway. I heard recently that uh, Pope Benedict's final words before he died was, Jesus, I love you. That's cool. Those are good last words before you, you know, give him a call, before you pay him a, a visit. To have got to, after 10 years of declining health and frustrations, to still be in love with Jesus. I thought that was good. That was impressive. True worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipper the Father seeks. We think of the Magi being the seekers, but actually it's God. He's seeking people who will get into relationship with him. And after all our searching, like the Magi, we discover it was always the Father who was calling us. And so I just want to uh, end with offering you these thoughts to think uh, humility, offering God the best that we have, our gold, our frankincense, our time, wasting time on God, and our myrrh, even that most costly. And as a slightly niche way of praying, I'm going to ask um, Sue, can I pick on you? I've got some frankincense and myrrh. Who'd have thought it? It's almost like it was planned. And I'm going to have one, and Sue will have the other. And uh, we're going to come up later to communion, but I want to just invite you, if you'd like to, to it's pretty fragrant, just to sniff and maybe make a silent prayer of what you feel God is asking you to do and, and maybe to offer to him things through that. So we'll just keep the the quiet, but come forward if you wish. It's better than canal number five, isn't it? So, Father, we, we pray that we will be in a place where we're able to be more like the Magi, offering you what we have, the, the best that we have, all the little that we have, but that it will be given to you. Pray for our use of our gold, our resources. Pray for our use of our time, that we will be worshippers. And Lord, we also offer to you our brokenness, our failures, and our pain. May we not try and hide them from you, but know that you love us and welcome us. And Lord, at the beginning of this uh, new year we do pray for your world which is so in so much pain we pray for our government we know that paul tells us we must pray for those in authority that they'll have wisdom to do the right thing so lord we pray for our prime minister the cabinet lord give them a wisdom beyond themselves we pray for a swift resolution to industrial disputes that are fair, that are affordable, that work for everyone. 
God help us, we don't know how to do it. We pray for our health service. Lord, we bless you for all who are giving their lives to help others. Lord, we pray for our doctors, nurses, ancillary staff, all the services. Lord, bless them, we pray. Again, we pray for a better way forward. And we pray for the world with places of conflict, especially, Lord, we pray for the people of Russia and Ukraine. We pray for the Prince of Peace to extend his reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we welcome the children and young people in, it's great to see you. So, Father, we pray that uh, whatever brokenness there is, Lord, we, we turn from our sin, we turn from our foolishness, and we say thank you for your love. May we give ourselves to you, and may we know your forgiveness, your healing, and your help. In Jesus' name, amen.